We all want to believe in something, but how far will we go to find meaning? From the executive producer of Friday Night Lights, whose new original drama series The Path takes audiences inside the mysterious world of a controversial cult-like movement, starring Aaron Paul, Michelle Monaghan, and Hugh Dancy, and hailed by The Hollywood Reporter as impressive and riveting, The Path takes an in-depth look at the gravitational pull of belief and what it means to choose between the life we live and the life we want. The Path series premiere March 30th, new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Film Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, IndieWire's Editor-at-Large in Los Angeles. And we're following up on our conversation last week when we spent a long time picking apart all the problems with Batman versus Superman and all these different things that were so obviously miscalculated about it and sort of... At the end of it all, we were willing to accept that maybe this movie could do well commercially. Well. <laughs> I thought it would. We I, were I said I right. thought it would do well. You know, it's interesting. When I walked out of that movie, I wasn't nearly as down on it as everybody else because I sort of recognized what the purpose of the movie was, which was to set up all the other movies. I mean, that's essentially reintroduce all it is. Batman. Is this even know. a movie when its entire purpose is to put a franchise in motion? I mean, exactly. I just... There was a lot of different agendas that Zack Snyder and his his team, his wife, and all these other people involved in this uh, series of things. There's a, there's a DC guy in charge. There's Zack Snyder. There's his wife, the producer. There's Chuck Roven, the producer. There's the people at Warner Brothers. It's like that's part of what's wrong with the movie. It's been made by committee instead of uh, even if Snyder is the first among equals, apparently. Right. But you say made among committee. I mean, it's not like it was, you know, crowdsourced. Let's say, like, they only did it to please every element of, the, of fandom, which can be a different well, kind of messy movie. It's really but, just there to please every commercial possibility. That is correct. And that is what the studios do. And they do it with a wide range of success. Right. Now, what Marvel manages to do is to make something that pleases everyone and it's commercial and the critics like it and it's true to the Marvel Universe and, 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 and that's the Kevin Feige thing. That's the genius of Kevin Feige that he somehow manages to do that. You know, Warner simply doesn't have it. But, for example, if Ben Affleck is writing his own Batman, which I think was part of the deal from the beginning, is that he would have his solo Batman movie that he could control and direct and, and be part of. I'm excited about that. Well, That's in any the case, I want to see. Batman v Superman makes well over $500 million around the world, well over $200 million domestically. I mean, could Ben Affleck's Batman do that? This the, One of the things that this movie represents is, is a slamming together of all these different possibilities, you know, especially with that title. And it makes you wonder if, you know, what what they've accomplished here. It's, it's not quite something you can replicate. I mean, is, are people going to flock to Justice League in the same well, way? That's the question. I mean, that begs the question of how satisfied they were. So, example, for example, when my daughter is like, Mom, should I see this movie? I'm saying, yeah, you got to see it because you got to see Ben Affleck as Batman. That's the introduction of Batman, the new version. And you've got to see the introduction of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. And, and that's why you have to see the movie. And that's why it did so well. But to Everyone clarify, you're telling me that because it's like it's essential for just not in case you choose to drop in on these other movies, you have to see this one to get the context. 
if you choose not to see this one, it's like, well, I guess I'll be sitting out this franchise for the next decade or whatever. Which, <laughs> hey, not so bad. I mean, but 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 based on the numbers at Rotten Tomatoes for you know like twenty eight percent critics negative, seventy three percent audience negative. It's a changing number, so don't quote me on that. But but that's that's a divide that is so huge. And and so interesting, you know. I mean, it's happened many times before. It's not it's not unheard of, but but it means that the audience had a much better time. Than, I just I than feel like such a cliche beating up on the studios for making crass blockbusters, and sometimes they're better than this. But it just there is something quite dispiriting about seeing such a crummy movie defy the odds. That word of mouth it has such limitations in this equation, and that somehow this says something about what you know, the general public wants in their movies, which isn't great stuff. It's just satisfying expectations. It's branding. You're being a little bit judgmental. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> the everyday moviegoer who yeah. might find this movie more satisfying than you did. And think about it from a different point of view. Critics are writers, right? Critics apply. Also, and often they're not even writing about production value or visual effects. They're writing about the, the screenplay most of the time. Sometimes they address acting, uh, maybe. But I'm, I'm horrified by this, by the way. It happens so much. And this movie was freighted with such expectations going in of what, you know, and, and Marvel expectations on top of that, that it feels like a lot of these critics were just disappointed by what they got and they wanted it to be different well but i think you apply rules of narrative explication and structure to this movie and you could say it doesn't work it's it's terrible there's all these loose ends the finale doesn't make any sense you you could you know you're not applying those things those are true those are facts (laughs) it is objectively (laughs) not a very good movie this has happened before think about the pirates of the caribbean series i remember being very annoyed with Richard Schickel of Time Magazine, you know, sort of an old fuddy-duddy, you know, reviewing. Um, and, of course, there are those who may consider me to be in that category. I recognize this. But it, at any rate, he was uh, not recognizing that a movie like that, a Jerry Bruckheimer e-ride, is about a series of anecdotal ev- events that have very little to do with any kind of narrative, and it's about lathering on enormous visual effects and sequences. Hang on, though. Hang and on. Having, I mean, have fun. The flaw in, in 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 that assumption is is he didn't realize it's possible that he did not care because you're talking about a totally different intellectual process discussing a movie and whether or not it's good versus what the public wants and what, how the public responds to things and maybe the, the variables that they're responding to are different. If they want a big, loud, stupid movie that's kind of incoherent but has some stars and all that kind of stuff, then they get what they want, which is fine. I would tell which those people... Which is what people, you have here, I basically. would tell those people, if you want a good time at the movies, something that's not going to challenge you too much but might surprise you with some faces you might recognize, John Goodman's pretty great in 10 Cloverfield Lane, and there's a really cool different kind of movie that contains the action to one set, but you still get your CGI in, in, in the third act, and which isn't a huge spoiler, so don't worry about it. But there, there are ways to, to satisfy that kind of thing that you're talking about with good movies that critics also um, like. Sure, it happens occasionally, but the other the other thing I would say here is 
is that they did establish each of these characters again uh, well. I mean, I think I think Affleck is a decent Batman. I think um, and not a risible one. And and I think Gal Gadot is a great Wonder Woman. I can't wait to get more of her. So you know, part of what they did, you know, they didn't do any, you know, Superman and and Lois Lane and the people that were introduced in that in that movie are are, are fine. You know, th there's nothing wrong with each of these actors or their characters. It, it, what was what was disappointing was the was this clunky, you know, ridiculous narrative. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. But I mean, the genesis for what we're talking about here is whether or not, you know, that's okay for some people. I mean, I, I haven't talked to anybody who really, really can mount a defense of this movie. I think it's more like there are some people who are just less uh, excited by the... Offended by offended, yeah. it. <laughs> they're not excited by the possibility of something different, and they're totally cool with something mediocre because that's what they expected, you know, which... Fine, that is what it is. Richard Linkletter has a great new movie in theaters. Maybe some people who saw Batman v Superman last weekend will now go see Everybody Wants Some and, and experience something different. I mean, they, I everybody wants some, and I think that it, it is totally inside the the Linklater universe. And I hope people go, and I hope the studio figures out how to get them to go because they didn't figure out how to get them to see Dazed and Confused low these many years ago. And this is very similar. Yeah, it's even the same like budget size and everything. I mean, it's just and the same you know behind the scenes people, and it's like four years later, and they're in college. Uh, not the same characters, but similar characters. All very good, much of a guys movie, very much of a baseball love loving guys movie, um, but you know I definitely recommend it, and and uh, I hope people check out you know the movie I recommended last week, Born to Be Blue, which hits VOD today uh, Thursday. And then there's um, Miles Ahead, the Don Cheadle quote unquote biopic of, of Miles Teller, which is actually not really a biopic at all. It's very Miles embellished, Davis. but Miles Miles, Davis. Miles Davis, excuse me, but <laughs> Miles big, Teller big. is the young actor. He'll get his biopic one day. <laughs> but, um, I mean, one of the things that's notable about that contrast is, is just the way that different filmmakers sort of develop an identity based on expectations, right? A lot of the stuff that I've been reading over the past week about Batman versus Superman has been using Zack Snyder as this really specific target much in the way that people tend to, you know, lambast Michael Bay or whomever it is. I mean, it's just somebody who epitomizes, you know, that kind of crass commercialism. And one of the things that I think is misleading about that is that Snyder is maybe the only thing that's right about this movie in the sense that there is some direction, there's some vision to it. There are images that, that I would identify with what he does as a filmmaker there's some artistry to it it's it's almost like there's too many other elements colliding here it's stuffing characters in there and plot points it's a writing problem on some level it is but i don't blame chris terrio per se or david goyer i blame the the lack of a kevin feige that that, that if they need to to get this ship they're going to think they did fine <laughs> i think they were shattered by the reviews but i think they you know they're more happy with the numbers. And the, this weekend will be the uh, one of the numbers from last weekend was what was the fall off between Friday and Saturday. It wasn't dramatic. It was okay. And so the question this weekend is what is going to be the fall off. And, um, and that will tell the tale of whether this gets to the 800 million that it needs to get to to become a profitable franchise, which I suspect it probably will. 
Yeah, I mean, and not to mention the fact that Justice League Part 1 is almost finished. So I just think it's it's also just worth looking at how somebody like Zack Snyder can have a career based around movies like this, whereas somebody like Richard Linkletter can have a career based around movies that are sort of his M.O., and the way in which the industry gives space to those two things is is maybe the silver lining and all this kind of stuff, because I'm the kind of guy who gets annoyed when a bad movie like this makes so much money, but I do think that the good thing about it is that it's not coming at the expense of quality. It's just providing one kind of movie for an admittedly very large kind of audience and giving them exactly what they want, but not cannibalizing the possibility of better kinds of movies. They're just sort of being narrow-casted in some ways. Like, Richard Linklater still can do what he does on a certain level, even in a world in which these are the kinds of movies that are the studio's priorities. That's exactly right. And I couldn't, you couldn't have said it any better. When you make them, the reason they didn't make the movie for so long was because it was going to be a cast of unknowns. And if you have a cast of unknowns, it makes it that much more difficult to create that interest in getting people to see it. And, And if Linklater has been much of a, you know, mostly an independent auteur, he is not a mainstream one, even with all the success of Boyhood. It still may, you know, stayed in the specialty realm, I would argue. So it's going to be tricky, I think, for him in this situation. I, I, I love this movie. I, I, even if I want more women to be in it, I understand why they aren't. All right, it's it's from a creepy dude perspective. That's sort of the nature of the movie. <laughs> and as far as Miles Davis is concerned, uh, that's a you know again we should commend Cheadle for taking chances and 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 trying to make something that isn't cookie cutter biopic. So I give him all due uh, respect for that. And and it, it's an odd and an oddly enjoyable movie. And, and he's terrific in it. Yeah, I have to say, in spite of the fact that it's not perfect, it, com- it surprised me. I had no idea where it was going. It's funny in parts. It's kind of unsettling in other it parts. It is funny. The music's there. I mean, a lot of stuff about it makes it worth seeing, even if you don't know quite what to make of it. And that's, I mean, that's even much more interesting than talking about Batman versus Superman. It's to kind of dig into the meta-narrative of Miles Ahead, which... People can get all kinds of different things out of a movie like that. And I also think it's kind of cool that, you know, the story around that movie with Don Cheadle, very much an established actor, a respected actor, been told over the years, you know, you really should play Miles Davis because you look kind of like Miles Davis. And instead of trying to do a traditional biopic, which was being handed to him from all these different directions, he came up with his own approach and made it himself. And that's kind of a cool way to utilize the sort of autonomy that an actor like that may find themselves with. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about that in the context of a piece you did this week uh, about DiCaprio, who ditched Warner Brothers for Paramount and sort of following the relationships in that respect. And, And how that, you know, that's another interesting case of an actor who just sort of makes his own world. And, and like filmmakers, 
actors kind of have to do that to succeed. It's in this a very business. good point. It's very true. And he's at the top of the food chain. I mean, don't don't make any mistake about that. He not only did he just win Best Actor for for The Revenant, uh, finally, but but he carries these movies to success. You know, he does, and he works. Uh, but it, it it was a lot of it is about having the stamina and the the drive to sort of develop projects like The Aviator, like uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, which he worked on with Scorsese in both cases, um, who is at Paramount and has a deal with Paramount and is friends with Brad Gray. Um, I finally, I think that the fact that Warner Brothers passed on The Wolf of Wall Street may be an informative point here. And and a lot of the movies that he has in development at Paramount are very environmentally oriented, very serious movies. And it may be that Brad Gray is willing to be more indulgent with uh, Leonardo than, uh, than Warner Brothers. Yeah, and fresh off of his Oscar win, which for some actors can be a dangerous time, it seems more like we may be facing Pete Caprio at this point, right? I mean, it's sort of like, you know, this is a guy who is entering a stage of his career that he's been building up to for a long time rather than leveling off. He's not going to do a DC superhero movie anytime soon, for example. Yeah, what's interesting about him is when I talked to him for The Wolf of Wall Street, um, I, I happened to look back at that at that interview, and he said that he couldn't get Blood Diamond made now, or, or you know, that this, this some of these movies are just too big and too serious and too difficult to put across, and, and he definitely wants to keep changing it up, always finding something different, always finding something new and um, it, it is in the interest of every movie star and every actor I'm talking to Ethan Hawke about Born to be Blue. Ethan Hawke did this weird western uh, Thai West western that was at South by you know he, 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 he worked on the, the, this movie about you know drone pilots you know and, and, and the problems that they have you know with these targets and so on he's, he's, he's constantly changing it up too and he admitted to me that in this world that he, he's not on the same level as, as DiCaprio with the same kinds of choices but he can he, he has to really make his own way too and 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 just do a, a wide variety of roles and he, I think he's actually doing that very well. So you know, speaking of actors, maybe we should flash back because there's another important news story this past week was that uh, the death of Patty Duke, an actor who faced a very different period of time in, in Hollywood history and yet also was able to carve out a career and an identity in a very particular way and. Generationally speaking, that's something that you really relate to, right? Oh well, you know that this, this is a boomer loss. <laughs> this is a so this speak. is you know the Patty Duke show and and uh, you know the the uh, the the identical cousins who are two of a kind, you know, and and also the Miracle Worker uh, with Anne Bancroft, you know, which was sort of an iconic. Uh, Oscar-winning movie for for both actresses, you know. So, I, I just uh, uh, it, and it's an interesting case of a of a woman who was managed, you know, as a child actor and peaked as a child actor and tried to to make a whole life out of out of 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 what goes on after that. When when you know that you're never going to, uh, I found that sort of sad, actually, sort of touching. 
that that you know she she goes and makes Valley of the Dolls with the pill popping you know Neely and and uh, everybody dumps on her and completely you know tells her to to uh, change it up you know it, it it was an unforgiving time you had to be what you were and you couldn't change it and you couldn't grow up and and she had a TV career a very good TV career but. Um, a lot of us were fond of her as a young girl. It's it's just fascinating to think about different eras and the way different kinds of personalities have to work to get out there. I mean, this week there was a can poster that had Jessica Chastain on it, and I was thinking about how, you know, here's somebody who has pushed out her own image in a very particular kind of way while not being overexposed and not really facing some of the same ki- kinds of challenges that somebody like Patty would have. And, uh, you know, it's it's still hard, obviously, to be an actress today on that level of exposure, but it seems like the climate has shifted to some degree where if you are able to push yourself out, maybe you aren't going to be sort of the target of, of so many problematic expectations in the same way that things used to be. So in that sense... There's maybe- an interesting kind of... Um- relative freedom on the internet now that someone like Jessica Chastain who has control of a Twitter account sure. you know can can communicate directly with her with her fans and admits that she's feminist admits that she's fighting that fight and gets blowback for it she got blowback for zero dark 30 there's no question that people did not know what to make of that that role that was a woman who was not defined by uh, her uh, by a man or by a family, but by her job, that was radical. <laughs> and the fact that that was radical is is unbelievable to me still. Um, but uh, she is fighting the good fight and seems to be getting away with it. So speaking of radical fights, one of the other interesting stories this past week was this vaccine documentary. It was her anti-vaccine documentary, as it were, that was pulled from the Tribeca Film Festival. This was a really fascinating story from kind of the, the insular film festival world standpoint, because for the rest of the world, all this represented was, you know, this crazy anti-vaccine guy made a documentary and this established film festival is giving it a platform. What the hell? The bigger question was sort of like, how did this thing get there? Is it appropriate for them to put it in the festival in the first place? Is it appropriate for them to pull it for, you know, bad PR reasons or whatever the specific challenges were? Well, PR is the bottom line here because that's what was handled badly, and that's where I think Bob uh, Robert De Niro has to take some responsibility for making one statement in support of the movie and then backtracking when he explained why they had to take it out. Right. What do you think? I mean, I, my feeling about it is, is is complex because, on the one hand, this documentary clearly represented a, a problematic point of view, and giving it any kind of exposure at a festival that wants to be taken seriously is essentially legitimizing the possibility of that viewpoint in a way that that it, it does not seem conducive to a two-sided conversation because the, this, you. you know a documentary that explores a controversial subject matter is different from propaganda you, you, I mean put and that that's the error this of, had a POV that's yeah. the point this and, was and, a clearly anti-vaccine thing and the impact that it could have on audiences was also clear on the and, other hand though I would say that once the film was programmed 
in some ways, unless some big sponsors said they were going to pull advertising dollars, which is certainly a possibility, uh, I would say you really got to hold your ground and figure out how things are going to go because now you have this situation where there's a precedent in which this movie, you know, not because of legal reasons like they were going to get sued, but for PR reasons, it could just be pulled from a festival. And that could happen under any uh, a number of different circumstances. Um, I, I, I just don't know if there's one single answer to what was done here. The biggest problem really is that it was programmed in the festival in the first place. I couldn't agree more. But I don't know. I mean, it just opens up a broader question. I mean, this movie's going to play in New York now on Friday at the Angelica. I guarantee you it was four-walled that they rented the theater, even if they're not confirming that to the New York Times or whomever. I mean, it, the, the thing that I, that I find annoying about, about this kind of stuff is that the, the movie... By virtue it ended of, up getting more publicity yeah, but, as a result of all of this. It, it, the, the biggest problem with our culture right now is that sensationalistic perspectives can get a lot of publicity because everybody's dying for something that draws attention. And so this thing is a media firestorm. And, and unfortunately, I think... In a small teapot. I, I hope so, but unfortunately, it's you know it's been trending all over the news cycle for the past week. And what what I what I hope this kind of thing doesn't do is suggest to all kinds of special interest groups that the best way to push your opinion out there is to say make a movie that generates these kinds of debates. You know, I mean, it's almost like the Donald Trump approach to filmmaking. I yeah, I know. <laughs> I I agree with you, but it's it's a. Uh... I think a lot of people have already figured this out. They've already figured out that this is exactly how they can get people to come and see their point of view. Yeah, at the end of the day, you just want to assume that there are enough smart people out there who get it, and this, these people can just have their First Amendment right to put that stupid perspective out there, and it'll just it'll it'll be there. Um, you know, I'm the kind of guy who also feels an obligation to pay attention to the media cycle, so. I'll probably go see this movie and tell people what I think about it, and then I can actually make it my own definitive statement about whether or not I think it's good or not. But frankly, I'd much rather sit through Batman versus Superman again than go see an anti-vaccine documentary. So I'm you know, afraid I'm with you on that one. <laughs> it's all relative <laughs> all right. in this world. Until so, until next week. Exactly. When is Tribeca starting? So we still have another week and change until Tribeca. So we're gradually ramping up and seeing more things. And, and we just talked to the programmers today and we're getting more tips. So all of that stuff is right around the corner. And there's all kinds of other... CinemaCon coming. CinemaCon's coming. And God, who knows what else? Just the small pocket of time when we have all these random things to talk about before Can changes our lives and then award season's right around the corner. So round and round we go. But uh, all right, looking Bye, forward Eric. to it. Take care. 